Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Tom McCart was a friend, a priest, a musician, and a key figure in the development of the Association of Anglican Musicians. And Jeff Butcher can tell you about that. But I would add that, for me anyway, he was also a teacher. Yes, he earned a PhD, and that gave him some qualifications as a teacher, which he used occasionally in teaching seminary courses. But what I mean by teacher is something much more general. For example, if you ever listen to one of his carefully crafted sermons, you learned things. And if you ever heard one of his rants about liturgy, you also learned things. They were quiet rants, but he did have strong opinions. What you learned from Tom was that you must not take liturgy for granted and just do what you think has always been done. You must think, you must think through what your words and actions actually say and where they come from. What is their history? In the last couple of weeks of his life, Tom thought deeply about what he wanted this liturgy to be. And you will notice that there are not as many words and actions as we normally have at All Saints funerals. For Tom, too many words and actions confused the issue, obscured the point. For Tom, less was definitely more when it came to church. So, for, for, for instance, he wanted just one reading, that reading from the gospel, because it was the gospel that's important. But we actually padded the service and added another lesson. So forgive us, Tom. And this is a Eucharist, not a combined burial office and Eucharist like we normally have. Why? Because it was the Eucharist that mattered for Tom. Tom also taught the whole Anglican communion something. He taught us the history of our hymns. Most of us assume, I think, that congregational singing is somehow in our DNA. Not so. Tom's book, The Matter and Manner of Praise, taught us that this is definitely not so. The first English prayer books made no provision for hymns at all. And the only things that could be sung, and then only by a clerk, 
were psalms. So for a long time, to sing anything beyond a metrical version of the psalms was something that people thought about. Way up into the 19th century, people sued each other and got into fistfights over the singing of psalms. So what Tom taught us in that book was not to take hymn singing for granted either. And so much of his last week was spent pondering the hymnal to try to pick the hymns that we're singing today. But more important than these things to me was what Tom taught me about death. Or rather, about how to die. You know, one of the functions of the church is supposed to be to teach us how to die. And we have been failing at that for years and years. But Tom taught me some things. On my last visit with him, he talked about a body that was failing. And he talked about his own responsibility for that through some bad choices. He knew what was happening and why. And yet this was not a gloomy conversation. It was simply fact. And you know, it was probably the most real that we had ever been with one another. So Tom did not die a victim. He met his maker head on and head up with courage and with honesty. He told me why he wanted Adagio for Strings played at this service, because he said that piece of music represents the trajectory of his life and as a matter of fact, all our lives. It builds to a soaring middle and then ebbs away. But it's the whole trajectory that makes the beauty. The ebbing away is just as beautiful as the soaring middle. And the focus of all of these things that Tom teaches us is the gospel we just heard, the short ending of Mark. Mark, the earliest gospel, therefore historical, the gospel of the fewest words, the gospel of less is more, and Mark is also the gospel of a unique way of telling the Easter story leaving us with an empty tomb and some women who have not yet seen Jesus. In, in Mark, we are given no details about re what resurrection looks like or how it happens. But an empty tomb is enough. Death has been robbed of its victimizing power the angelic proclamation that he is risen 
and the promise that he will be seen in the future, that is enough. There is a tomb, but it is empty. Tom did not speculate about what resurrection looks like. He didn't need to. Death is real. We do ebb away. But when faced with honesty and courage, the ebbing away is just as beautiful as the soaring middle. And that's what Tom taught me. It's a privilege to offer remembrances of our dear friend and colleague, Tom. I met Tom in 1972 when he began his master's degree at the University of New Mexico. Tom appeared one Sunday morning at the Oregon Console after a service at St. John's Cathedral, Albuquerque and introduced himself. Not only was I pleased to meet him personally, but we were in need of an assistant organist choir master. Uh, the dean and I both liked Tom and uh, decided that we would hire him, uh, that we just simply forgot to audition him. But we were never disappointed. He's fulfilled all of our ex expectations. Uh, Tom and I often joked about the fact that I liked, to, I was the organist choir master at that time, and I liked to play uh, traditional organ literature. And Tom liked to play anything that was modern and challenging. So, I would play Mendelssohn, and he would play Messiaen. It was wonderful. The congregation got a full uh, exposure to organ literature. Uh, Father Gordon reminded me of Tom as a teacher. I'll just give you one little tiny story. Tom and I used to run a summer camp at our conference center in the Diocese of the Rio Grande. And it was for children. It was a choir camp. And it was the biggest camp they had each summer. And Tom uh, would be teaching um, uh, notation, and he would be teaching church history, or uh, music history in relationship to the church. And the kids loved it so much that he couldn't put them on a curve for grading. They, 
the vast majority all had 100% of their tests correct because of the energy and the enthusiasm that he gave them for music. Well, as Tom was completing his master's degree, I encouraged him to join the Association of Anglican Musicians. And he did this in 1975 and making him a member for over 42 years. The dean and I also encouraged Tom to go to seminary, to become a priest. He wasn't quite certain about that idea. But with our support and encouragement, uh, he went to the Church Divinity School of the Pacific, was ordained deacon and priest in the Diocese of the Rio Grande, and went on with further education and ministries in Texas, Tennessee, Hawaii, California, Indiana, and New York. As our president of the Association of Anglican Musicians said so beautifully in an email to the membership. In 1984, Tom conceived of the idea of creating a fundraising arm for the Association of Anglican Musicians, which at the time was a 501c6 organization that could not engage in fundraising. Tom oversaw the creation of the Anglican Musicians Foundation, an independent 501c3, which was approved by the IRS in 1988. With its own bylaws and board of directors, the Anglican Musicians Foundation was capable of receiving tax-deductible contributions, and Tom became its first president. As many of us in the association remember, Tom was the public face of the AMF soliciting our supports at conferences and throughout the year. Eventually, the foundation was able to merge with the Association of Anglican Musicians. Meanwhile, Tom, with his financial acumen and enthusiastic fundraising pitches, the endowment is now over a half a million dollars uh, with another 150,000 pledged. Uh, and, and this is after years of giving grants. These grants have included publications, internships, and mentoring programs for young musicians, support of the Association of Anglican Musician Conferences, commissions for new music, and DVDs and other grants. The Association of Anglican Musicians and the Episcopal Church have been blessed by Tom's gifts as a superb priest, liturgist, and musician, and we are the benefactors of his multiple skills. We are indebted to him for his support of the music ministry of the church, for his wit and vigor, and the deep friendships 
with him that so many of us have treasured for years. May saints and angels now welcome Tom to paradise. In sheer, in sheer defiance of Tom's desire to keep it short, I'm going to add my words. It is unlikely that the All Saints family knew Tom very well. He'd only been a parishioner here for a couple of years. But those of you who knew him and his ministry at Christ Church might have known that among his collection of earthly goods, was a collection of family quilts, mostly, if not all of them, made by his mother, Dorothea. Now, Dorothea died several years ago, and I was honored to speak at her funeral in Hinton, Oklahoma, where Tom is from. And it seemed appropriate this morning to place his cremains on one of his mother's quilts. The quilt is for me a stunning image. It's a metaphor for what we gather here to celebrate today. Tom's work, his contribution to the body of Christ, his bits and pieces of recollect recollections of things that he said and did, what he meant to us, what mattered to him and what did not matter to him. To this, quilts are strong images the assemblages of fragments of fabric which otherwise might be thought of as rags or bits uh, saved from the dustbin from worn out clothes, long since outgrown, tablecloths from family meals, colorful favorite shirts gone out of style, bits and pieces of a family's life together, reordered, trimmed to a different shape, sewn, sewn into a muslin backing, and painstakingly quilted with tiny stitches to make a pattern over the applique fabric. All of these are memories of the past and, experienced, and experiences which are sewn into a blanket for the purpose of comforting and warming someone who is loved. That seems to me what differentiates a quilt from a blanket. It is the product of love. It is a worthy craft. But a family quilt is so much more. It is also a remembrance of the occasion on which it was presented. The birth of a child or some important passage like a marriage the establishment of a new household, or in this case, a last act of respect for someone who is loved in life and whom we commit to eternity to God's care. Quilting is an old traditional American craft, but it is one which always looks to the future. Quilts are made for and given to new generations to new families. Quilts are made to keep folks warm in the winters yet to come. Quilts are for comfort. 
They tie us to family memories. They wrap us with affection. They shield us from the chill of life. There is an Episcopal parish near the seminary where I went to school in Chicago called Holy Comforter, an obvious reference to the spirit. But we seminarians frequently referred to it as sacred blanket. Our joke was just a sign that we have some, we have come to understand comfort as ease and peace much like a blanket gives for a snooze. But there's an older meaning of comfort, and that is strength, or to use a closely related word, fortitude. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus promised us he would send the Holy Spirit to us, he calls that spirit the comforter, the strengthener. What is it that gives us comfort or strength at times like this when we've lost someone we love? Memories of time past, funny things that happened, but also good and bad things. Things survived, things painfully overcome or not overcome, things said and left unsaid. In other words, memories act like a quilt. Memory is powerful. It is so powerful that Jesus said on the night before he died, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Make me a member again in this act. And that is what folks did. They remembered him in their hearts and their hearts were, th were strengthened to face the future in hope. Memories can warm our hearts, even when we experience the coldness of death. In the prayers of this service, we will pray that we, especially, and especially Tom's sisters and family, will be strengthened to face the future in hope. The Amish, you know, are famous for their quilts, for the beauty of design and the quality of workmanship, but I've heard that they intentionally always make a mistake in the pattern. It is the recognition that life as we know it is not perfect. Only God makes perfection. For those things which were not as we would have them, there is forgiveness and acceptance in God's design of life. The Amish felt that to make a design perfect is to blaspheme God. But death is real. Loss is real. Life is far from perfect. But God's love perfects all things. In the church, we sometimes talk about collective memory of those who have gone before, and we call that the communion of saints. But the communion of saints, by this we mean a hope that death does not have the last word, that, lives, that lives stitched together in love do not come unraveled in death, because the risen Lord is the thread holding them together. The very fact that we gather here today 
is a little illustration of the communion of saints. My only connection with many of you who are here today is Tom. He has stitched us all together, all of us who represent different pieces of his life, some pieces of his life that represent friends and colleagues or neighbors or family. Those pieces of his life have not been unraveled by his death. Their meaning is stronger than that. And our presence here today shows us by bringing us together today, he has made us into a kind of community quilt so that we can comfort and strengthen each other with love and hope. A hymn from my youth as a Methodist comes to mind. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like that above. Before the Father's throne we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Amen.